I'm Dick Summer, and it's time to say goodnight. This is a quiet place to rest your head, a safe place to hide a hurting heart, a gentle place to fall. We just call this place goodnight. You know what? You and I are much too busy, and I have found a solution. I'm sitting here in the big black leather papa chair in my living room. It's good, it's quiet, and I'm looking at the, the blue carpet that's so soft that you leave footprints on it when you walk on it, and I don't see any fingerprints. Now, fingerprints belong on my carpet because that's where I do my push-ups, which is part of my daily effort to keep my Louis Louis generation body from attacking me. And the reason the fingerprints aren't on the carpet is because I haven't been doing my push-ups. I've been too busy. I've been doing push-ups since I was in grammar school. I always hated them, but I made time for them. You see, I had this Mickey Mouse Club lunchbox with the Annette Funicello thermos bottle in it. And somehow I knew that Annette would be more interested in me if I did push-ups so I had muscles. And by extension, I figured Jeannie and Doris and Mary and Matilda and the other Jeannie and Maureen and the other people who looked like them would be more interested too if I had better muscles. Now, this may come as a surprise to you women because my lady wonder wench tells me it's not completely true, but we Louie Louie generation guys all told each other that girls like guys with big muscles and we believed each other mainly because you girls didn't tell us that we were wrong. As a matter of fact, you didn't really tell us very much about anything about yourself. Mostly all you told us was, no, don't touch me. <laughs> and not just me, most of you told all the other guys no, too. Most of you. Now think about that, I'll guarantee you. Sometime, somewhere, some girl was busy telling George Clooney, Bill Gates, Bill Clinton, Brad Pitt, Harrison Ford, even Pierce Brosnan, no. <laughs> kind of makes you wish you could go back and do it over again, doesn't it? So, there we were, doing push-ups that we didn't want to do, and you were telling us no when I'm sure that some of you at least... In the case of those of you who were in the company of George, the two Bills, and Brad and Harrison and Pierce, I'll bet you those girls might have really wanted to say, well, maybe not tonight, dear, I have a headache, but what are you doing tomorrow? You know, leave a little door open. We were all doing something we didn't really want to do, and we were doing those things all the time. And we're still doing stuff we don't want to do all the time. That's why we're too busy. We pay the rent. We go to work. We vote for idiots. We pay taxes. We put up with relatives we'd like to strangle. We're always doing stuff we don't want to do. Well, you will say, we have to do these things. Well, I think not. At least not all the time. Big Louie, his own bad self, has a solution. It's called, don't do what you don't want to do day. Do wah, do wah, do wah. Now, here's the idea. You just take one day out of the week and simply refuse to do a damn thing you don't want to do. Pick whatever day you want. Take one day out of the week and just don't do a damn thing you don't want to do. That's 
Don't do what you don't want to do. They do I do I do I. All week long, as you're turning down George Clooney's advances and, and paying your income tax and doing push-ups and working and slaving at a job where they don't appreciate you, you can be looking forward to your personal don't-do-what-you-don't-want-to-do-day-do-wa-do-wa-do-wa. And it's just around the corner. And here's how you make it work, all right? Somebody says, well, what about your diet? As you're wolfing down your dinner on your... On your don't do what you don't want to do day, do I do I? You just look them in the eye and you say, do I do I do I to you? Or if you prefer, just, you know, make stuff up. Tell them eating helps the farmers and it, and it wards off dizzy spells. Tell them it, it relieves shortness of breath. Tell them it relieves tallness of breath too. I don't care. Tell them it's an excellent, if temporary, form of oral contraception. I mean, don't overdo it, you know. And, don't go drinking beer directly from the keg or, or, or lick plates that don't belong to you, you know, or, or take all of the next customer numbers at the bakery. You know, but have some fun. Warn people about the dangers of excessive thinness. Tell them how somebody you knew hurt himself when he slid through the bench slats and hit the sidewalk. Remind people that, that dieters need to be careful not to lose so much weight that they'll run the risk of becoming invisible. As Big Louie, his own bad self, has often said, sometimes the most serious problems are best solved by the silliest solutions. So, if you're feeling guilty about not doing the dishes, or mowing the lawn, or ironing your hair, instead of sulking or lurking or getting defensive about it, just stand up straight and tall and tell everyone around you, including yourself, and your therapist, for that matter. Say it loud and clear and proud. I'm not doing that today because today is my don't-do-what-you-don't-want-to-do day. Do-wah-do-wah-do-wah. Dick's Details. A bunch of absolutely unimportant facts for you to stuff in one ear so you can push the important stuff that's keeping you awake out the other ear, and you can nod off happily to sleep. Princess Diana had to call Prince Charles Sir until they were married. Now, don't you think that'd be kind of a nice custom for here in the States, too, huh? <laughs> About half of you seem kind of negative on that idea. If the answer is an abracadabler, what is the question? The answer is an abracadabler, what is the question? You don't know, do you? Of course not. Haven't told you yet, but I will in a minute. If the answer is an abracadabler, what is the question? Men are four times more likely than women to sleep in the nude. Now that's really too bad. There were over 300 banana-related injuries in Britain last year. Most of them had to do with slipping on the peel. Bet you a reasonable number of them were kinkier than that, though. And last but not least... Astronauts are not allowed to eat beans before they go into space. This is true, and the reason is because a fart could damage their space suits. I think the same rule ought to be applied to people who ride buses and subway trains, too. If the answer is an abracadabler, the question is, what do you call an amateur magician? 
an abracadabler. <laughs> it's just a little pocus in your hocus. Dicks to tails. They take your mind off your mind. Hey, a little housekeeping here, if you don't mind. If you like these podcasts or my spoken word story CDs at DickSummer.com or my book, Staying Happy, Healthy, and Hot, would you tell a couple of friends, please? Because they might like them, too, and you'd be doing me a favor. So thank you very much. I am about to tell you a story that my lady wonder wench really doesn't like. I'm usually pretty careful about that. But you know what? This is my don't-do-what-you-don't-want-to-do day. So, here goes. A good headhunter is a genuinely dangerous guy. He's deadly. He's a street fighter. And that's you. You find jobs for high-powered executives. You're good at it. Maybe the best. You love it. You love the excitement. You love the challenge. You love the money. The money and the toys, those are the headhunter's trophies. Condo on the beach. A personal jet. Garage full of fancy automobiles. But you're also a nice guy. So you were glad to introduce a friend of yours to exactly the right person to fill an important opening in his company. You didn't take a fee for that one. You made it a birthday present to him. And she was a perfect fit. Right from the first day. Smart. Driven. Well-connected. She was so perfect and they worked so well together, as a matter of fact, that they fell in love. That happens. But it made a problem for you and for your wife because you and your wife have known your friend and his wife since you double-dated in college. When he told you what was happening, you were very glad that he was so obviously happy. Might have been just a little jealous of the passion that his new mistress brought to his life. And for some reason, you couldn't help feel sorry for his wife as she watched 15 years of marriage melt away in their amazing lust. That surprised you because you never really liked his wife. Maybe she was a little bit too much like you. Headstrong, clever, a little bit ruthless. She had an annoying habit of blowing loose strands of hair out of her eyes with a quick jet of breath. She did that because she didn't have time to do it with her hands. They were always busy doing something else. On a summer night that started out innocently enough, you and your wife invited her to dinner at your beach house. They were friends. You felt a little bit out of place. After all, you were the one who introduced her husband to the woman who became his mistress. So after dinner, you decided to leave the women to talk things over. And you went for a walk by the ocean. It was a soft summer night. The tide was out, and there was an almost full moon. You built a bonfire. You kicked off your shoes and lay down and just stretched out on the sand. It was the first time in a long time that you just let go. You started thinking about your own marriage. It was mostly okay, except for the affair that your wife had for about six months with her boss. You almost lost her. But when he tried to get her to leave you, 
she told you about it instead. Naturally, you were angry because she had slept with another man. But you were also relieved because she told you about it. You were kind of proud because she chose you over him. You both decided to be intelligent about it, to use your heads to put things back together again. But it never completely worked out. Things were always just a little off-center ever since then. Like a day that starts out in a strange town with the wrong radio station on your clock alarm. You knew she was there before you saw her. You could feel her watching you as she walked toward you, carrying her high heel shoes and swinging her hips in that smooth, confident way that you found almost insulting. She said, your wife has gone to bed and I wanted to thank you for dinner and your hospitality before I go. The ocean breeze was playing in her long, soft, loose-fitting, simple dark blue dress, lifting it in quick little puffs, silhouetting quick glimpses of her body's slopes and curves against the firelight. She was smiling that irritating smile of hers. She had startlingly white teeth and soft, muscular lips that obviously had a challenge about them. But the biggest challenge was in her eyes. It was almost an animal challenge, and it, it bothered you. That self-confident boldness in her eyes. And then the firelight did a curious thing. It caught in her eyes for just a moment a hurt, frightened little girl inside that proud, angry, self-disciplined woman. And when that happened, suddenly your hunter's instincts kicked in and everything went into a kind of a slow motion. All of your senses magnified the things around you and you caught a trace of her perfume in the ocean air and the sand became satin soft. The ocean was a rumble somewhere in the dark and her voice was making small half words only fingertips away. Her skin looked cool but her eyes were warm and shining in the firelight and moist around the edges as if she were sweating inside. You're a bright guy. You're headstrong, you're ruthless. You're a dangerous hunter. And you understand this deadly game. It could cost you your home, your marriage, all the things you love, all the trophies of an entire lifetime's hunting. But her lips were soft and muscular in the summer night. And her eyes flashed an animal challenge in the firelight. And most important, a hurt little girl looked up from your arms and smiled. And in the end, the heart is still the deadliest hunter of them all. That story is called The Headhunter's Woman.
I like the sound of the music and the waves in there. My lady wonder wench won't tell me why she doesn't like it. And she doesn't have to if she doesn't want to. Because she needs a don't-do-what-you-don't-want-to-do day to. If you do like it, though, you can just keep this podcast, or if you want a fresh copy, go on back to DickSummer.com. Check out the Night Connections 2 icon on the homepage. Got a very nice note from proud podcast participant Tom Preston. He says, Dear Dick, on the first Valentine's Day I spent with a woman in my life, I asked her to go steady. She was 17 and I was 19. She said yes. That was in 1965. Great, good, happy Valentine's Day story. I love that. Tom is a good Louie Louie generation guy who obviously got it right. Hey, Tom, just one thought. Don't make trash day your don't do what you don't want to do day or your wife will be giving you a do-a-do-a-do-a that you don't forget. Another email just came in. Not so happy. Valentine's Day story. It says, in part, I'm always going to love him but the papers are filed. All I'm going to keep is his name, and I will have and keep and love our child. So I guess maybe we also need to do what you need to do today. Time to tuck you in now. I'm Dick Summer, and I hope you'll come back soon for a gentle place to fall. Quiet place to rest your head. Safe place to hide a hurting heart. Nice and easy now. Couple of deep breaths. Come on. There you go. Just one more. That's better. All the way to sleep. All the way to sleep. Good night.